Um, Good morning, everyone. When Mark first asked me to share with you, uh, he asked me last year, and I was already committed to speak at another church, so he had a year to change his mind, (laughs) and I had a year to um, drum up some bad jokes, so we should be... Good to go. Uh, My husband and I and and I live just west of town, for those of you that don't know us, and um, we have children that span the age of grade school to high school, and I spend the majority of my moments in a car. We're always going somewhere. I simply climb in the car, wait for someone to climb in, and find out where it is that we're supposed to be going. But I spend a lot of time in that season, and some of you have likely been in that season before, where you're just sort of waiting for your children. You end out outside of a practice or outside of a youth group. So I spend moments in my car, and it gives me time to reflect, a little bit of quiet time. And so on those moments and those quiet moments, I reflect and I think about my story and my family story. And I've come to realize during those times that God really does tell the best stories. My story began in West Central Illinois. I was born into a farming family, and we actually have seven generations that are now on our family farm. But in high school, I met a boy, and by the time we graduated college, each on the five-year plan, if I was to be honest, um, we were married. So Ryan and I will celebrate 21 years of marriage next month. He's a trooper for the state of Illinois. God gave me the gift of balance when he brought Ryan into my life. I have a tendency to be optimistic, perhaps overly optimistic, some say. And I would frequently categorize Ryan as a pessimist in our relationship. And he never embraced that. He never liked it. And he would always correct me and say, I am a realist. Until one day someone shared a definition of pessimist that he has since embraced. And that definition was, an optimist is, no, sorry, a pessimist is an optimist with more information. So if you have a pessimist in your life, that might be the way that they would now like to describe themselves. Our son Caden is 15. He was born a boy's boy. Um, He is finishing his freshman year at Mount Pulaski High School. He will have his license by the end of the summer. He is a two-time state champion skeet shooter. I have to throw that in because it's his passion. But one of my favorite stories of Caden to this day to explain his component in our family was when he was about three years old, I noticed a tiny bunny outside of the window of our home. And so I called him over to the couch and said, you have to come look at this bunny, Caden. So he climbs up on the couch. He looks out the back window. I'm like, do you see it? Do you see the tiny bunny? He looks right at me and goes, Mom, get the gun. That's Caden. Then Carson was the next blessing to our family. And she truly was the balance to that, our girl's girl. She is now 12. She's a cheerleader. She loves music. She asks for a horse on a daily basis. Um, When she was almost three, we had a moment where we were with friends. We were going to go out on a little lake in Minnesota. And she had on her pink Dora swimsuit because everything in her closet at that point was pink. It was her favorite color, pink, pink, pink. And my friend 
friend is putting a life preserver over her, and it's one of the ones with sort of the old beans in it, and it was bright orange at one point, but it was rather beaten up and dated, and my friend was lacing her into it. But at the same time, she just had this face that she looked really uncomfortable. So after my friend got her in it, I walked over to her, and I said, Carson, what is wrong? And she said, Mom, it doesn't match. And that's when I knew we had balance within our family again. But once upon a time, this family of four went on an adventure. And we're told in Psalm 68.6 that God sets the lonely in families. And he had done that in our family. He had put an ache on my heart to add to our family through adoption. And when I went to my husband, who would tell you that he would have been perfectly fine living his entire life as Uncle Ryan... And having no children, I went to him and said, I think we're supposed to add more children to our family. And his response to it was, research it and get back to me. (laughs) Those of you who know me know that he was speaking my language. I'm a teacher. Research, I'm all in. Do you want footnotes and a bibliography? I got your back. So off we went on this journey. But some of you may recall that we connected with an agency that eventually closed. They were not an ethical agency, and we lost money. And much of that was donations from family and from friends, and some of that from our family here in this church. And we were devastated, and it was devastating. And Ryan at that point said no more. He felt confident that a door had been shut, a wall had been put up, and that we shouldn't try to climb it. But the ache simply would not leave my heart. So in April of 2009, I went on a trip. I led a group of 11 college students to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, to work in orphanages. And these are a few of the children from Kids Care Orphanage that we worked with. We had been pursuing in that adoption journey a boy, that was Caden's only request, under the age of two, which would have been younger than our daughter Carson at the time, And so I literally, before we left and landed in the country of Ethiopia, I was praying to God, if you could just help me out by maybe shining a great big light down on the boy that we're supposed to bring home, that would be helpful. And then I could let Ryan know, sure enough, we're supposed to do this. I've got him all lined out. There was a light. God said, right here. But that isn't what happened when we got there. What I kept noticing were that the babies were quickly matched with waiting families, with families that maybe hadn't had the opportunity to love a baby or to experience raising a baby. There were multiple older children and sibling groups, and there were too many of them. And there were two girls that I was consistently drawn to, and they weren't toddlers and they weren't boys. (laughs) So on the third day of working in this orphanage, the director of the orphanage came to me and asked me, what do you think of our orphanage? What do you think of our children? And I said, oh, this has completely changed. I feel like the the vision for our family. I had no idea there were so many older children. And actually, there are two girls that are here that I feel like could be a part of our family. And they'd never spent any time together whatsoever. And so she asked, would you point them out to me? So I pointed out one child, and I pointed out the other child. And she just looked at me and said, you realize that they're sisters, right? No. (laughs) I had no idea. So I sent a message to that optimist with more information. (laughs) And... um, 
he said, uh, no 2 a.m. feedings? And I said, nope, they're 7 and 10. And he said, no diaper changes? I said, nope, they're 7 and 10. He said, huh, I think we could do that. And before my feet were back on American soil, he had contacted a, a new adoption agency, and we were processing to bring home our girls. Fakurta is now 17. She'll finish her junior year of high school this month. Her name means love in her native language. She is an artist. She is an athlete. While we were in Ethiopia, we took that group of students, that group of kids, to a a nearby lion zoo. That's exactly what it sounds like. It's a zoo full of lions and one duck. And we... uh, had the opportunity to take the children to that, and then we took them to a restaurant for lunch. And this restaurant was very different from them because they had sort of Americanized it, so there were utensils, which they don't use in their culture. And so we had a lot of forks that were scratching backs and parts and other things. Um, And so it was a little chaotic. But Fakurta, we had partnered up that day with with different kids, and she had separated herself off with me, which meant she was the last to do everything everything. She never got to do anything first because I was the one paying for everything, counting heads, making sure we hadn't lost anyone. And she was just sitting and always patiently waiting. And so we're sitting in this restaurant and I look at her and we aren't in a restaurant in Ethiopia. We're in my dining room. And I just knew this is my daughter. This is my child. Konjit is our fourth addition to our family. She, her name means beautiful in her native language. She's now 15. She just earned her fourth trip to the state track meet, having competed in three different events through the years. But don't let her size fool you, as she can eat twice her weight in anything that is put in front of her. Um, We bonded quickly when I returned to Ethiopia to complete their adoption. It was my third day there. She greeted me at the gate. Um, She is known for being bubbly and giggly and talkative. She is my bounce-back kid, and she was visibly not feeling well. She was hunched over, and she simply grabbed my hand and took me to the back of their facility, and it was in the back of the facility where the doctor was that the doctor told me, we believe your daughter is having an appendicitis but she has refused to leave our facility to go to the hospital until her mom was here. She knew her mom would want to go with her. To which, of course, I said, of course I do. And so we climbed in a taxi and traversed our way to three different hospitals before they did diagnose her, indeed, with an appendicitis. They took it out, and they dot every I and cross every T, in the country of Ethiopia. So upon the conclusion of her surgery to prove to her American mother that it needed to be removed, they gave it to me in a bag. (laughs) So life with Konjit has never been dull a day since. I can guarantee it. Um, So once upon a time, there was a family of six, and we became the parents to four beautiful and extremely personality-filled kids. And God, though already was working on the next chapter of our story, and we had no idea. Because when you open up a chapter for God to write, you really never know where he's going to take the plot and what he's going to do with the characters. We had no idea through the process of bringing our daughters home that they had been separated from their brother. God knew our capacity, and he introduced this little family group to our family in the exact way he knew that he needed to. 
We had no reservations adopting our girls, and when we found out that we still had a piece of our family in Ethiopia, we knew that we needed to go back. It was a few days before bringing our daughters home that we were made um, the, aware of Belita, and our lives, um, their lives were spent together in a governmental orphanage, and then there was a fire. So when the children were moved to a private orphanage, they looked at him as an almost teenager and said, you know what? These two girls over here are probably adoptable, but you aren't. So they have a better chance without you. So he was no longer welcome in the system. Over 38,000 children a day have this happen to them. Every two seconds, a child is affected and aged out of the system. In our country, it happens at the age of 18. Some countries, it happens at the age of 16. In Ethiopia and multiple other countries around the world, the age is 13, where they are decided that we are not going to be able to find a family for you. Good luck. We became determined to bring Bella to home. We had to make sure that he knew that no one is ever too old for a family. That is not God's truth. God's God's truth is that he doesn't care who you are, what your history is, how sick you are, how old you are. You are his, and you are a part of his family, and we needed to make sure that he knew that. Our son, Belita, has been home for two years. He is now 20 years old. He works hard. He rarely complains. He's quick with a smile. He loves to laugh. He attends school to improve his English while working full-time as a custodian. We couldn't ask for more from that boy. So this is probably where I should give you the patented ending to all modern-day stories. And they all lived happily ever after. But that isn't fair (laughs) because um, our life isn't fairy tale, and I know that your life isn't a fairy tale either. Every story has plot twists, ups and downs, surprises, unexpected characters, unwelcome characters, and we have those every day. Our story isn't a fairy tale. Yours isn't. It's a real story. And it's made up of a past, a present, and a future. And so that's where I want us to go today. I want to consider the need at times to surrender our past. This week, a friend of mine from college took an interesting twist on Mother's Day. She decided to be vulnerable and honest and shared some of her not-so-trophy mom moments on social media. So I decided to make my own list of not-so-trophy mom moments and it hashtag Dawn made me do it would be if I was on Facebook. All right. I've misspelled my child's name when ordering it on the back of a T-shirt. I've skipped a year's worth of birthday cakes for my kids and took them out for dinner to celebrate instead. I have called each of my children by a different child's name. I've forgotten to pick up a child from an activity. And this just happened two days ago. I pouted on a holiday because it didn't go the way I had pictured it. I've been the cause of tears from a child. I've left clothes in the washer long enough that they mildewed, then washed them again only to leave them to mildew again. I was at a grade school music concert when I realized I was still wearing my slippers. I've blanked when I've been asked a child's birth date. I've not been able to help with homework because I have no idea how to do it. I've had to apologize to a child because of a poor parenting moment. I've found an excuse to send them to bed early just because I was exhausted and wanted quiet. We haven't had a family photo taken since the directory was put together for this church. Thank you for making that possible, Mount Pulaski Christian Church. 
I am many things. I am a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a teacher. I'm a speaker. I'm an optimist to balance out that other optimist in my house. Um, but I've made mistakes, and I make mistakes. And some of the things I continue to try to work on, but there are some things that I simply need to leave in my past because they are hindering where I'm at. Perhaps you have a few things that you need to surrender today, but it can be hard to do that. For over a decade, I was a full-time communication professor at a Christian university, and I loved my job. I had the opportunity to mentor students and mentor young ladies. I led students on missions trips, missions trips that led me to my own family. I was able to teach about what the Bible has to say about communication. Each class started off with a prayer. I was blissfully moving along in life, and one day I answered the phone, and it was the provost of my school. I was supposed to meet with him that day, but I had a sick kiddo. So instead, he called me and quickly let me know that the president was also on the line. The next words made me catch my breath, and I caught my breath for days afterwards. We had been undergoing extreme financial difficulties at the school, and I was aware of that and knew that and had lived with them through that process. Um, but 16 of us were going to be impacted by cuts in different forms, one or the other, and I was one of those people. And they could have told me all day long that it had nothing to do with my ability, that it had everything to do with finances and nothing to do with me or anything that I had done. But that wasn't where I was going with it at all. I had to take the time and separate the things that I felt from the things that I knew. Because at that point, I felt lost and I felt unworthy and maybe even unworthy of being happy at all. I did not feel strong. And in that moment, I had to call on the one who was. I had to separate what I felt from what I knew to be true. I didn't feel loved, but I knew that I was. I didn't feel strong, but I knew that I could call on the one who is. But God, he was faithful. He was still good. He continued to be everything he said he was. In Philippians 1.6, we're told, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion. Doubt, fear, worry, comparison, grief, anger, unconfessed sin, a grudge, a bad habit. Perhaps one of those things is what is dragging your past right now. And we have to let those things go because God has a story to tell. In surrendering my past and admitting who I am in my imperfect self, I'm allowed to start each day new, my present, an imperfect me serving a perfect God. I want us to thrive in our present. God wants us to thrive in our present. So who are you today? What is the truth about who you are today and what should be shared? In Psalm 139, verse 14, it's one of my favorites. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He did not make a mistake when he created you. He did not make a mistake when he created us. You are his beloved creation. We're told in Matthew chapter 10 that he knows the amount of hairs on each of our heads. We are that important to him. He wants us to thrive in our present. But I understand that that is a tall order on some days because life is messy. Present is messy. But I think what we need to realize is that life is messy on some level for everyone, not just for ourselves. Perhaps this day, Mother's Day, is hard for you. Perhaps the space next to you generally has someone in it, but it's empty today simply because it's too hard of a day for that person to be around. 
other people. Maybe you desperately want to be a mom, but that isn't happening. Maybe this will be your first Mother's Day without your mom. Maybe you've lost a child, and the word mom just still has a bittersweet note to it. Maybe you have an estranged child who, will try, who you will try to hope will not call this year because you're pretty sure your phone won't ring. My brother is that estranged kid, and I know how much it pains my mom. But she will sit today in her church playing the piano, leading music, and many may not know that part of her story. On the outside, it looks like you're doing so great, while on the inside, your heart is heavy. Some of these struggles may come because of the comparison game. I think many times that used to only happen on Sunday. You know, things weren't going well in your home, so your voice started to raise, and then you climbed in your car, and they still weren't going well, and so your voice got a little bit louder. But then by the time you pulled into church and it was time to walk in the door, everyone smiled. But now with social media, we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest and all things social media and the par- comparison game can happen at day or night or anytime you get on. And I can realize that I'm not creative and I can't build a seven-layer birthday cake. Other have a gorgeous house and it's decorated just right and I still have rooms with nothing hung on my walls and I've lived in my home for nine years. He wants us to thrive in our present, but when we begin comparing, how can we compete? You've seen perhaps first day of school pictures The perfect family, everyone's lined up, they look so happy, they're going to school, they look happy to be going to school, and they look happy to be having their picture taken by their mother. My family isn't that family. Uh, It took a time to collect the beautiful photos I showed of my children. They were all approved by all of my children, by the way, because that's very important if you're a teenager. And um, if I would have used selfies, I would have had oodles, but that's for a different topic. But here's a classic from the first day of school for the Mots in 2011. Caden actually looks like he'd like to bore a hole through my soul in that picture. Um, I'm not sure that we were all thriving on this day, all right? This some days is the Mott's reel. This is where we were that day. It's not the pretty shined up pictures that I was showing you all along of my family, but that. Um, Valentine's Day would be another example of mine for sometimes when I lose at the comparison game. Um, some of you may have people in your lives who love to give gifts. I'm not sure who that person is in your life, but they're there. I, I don't have that person. I'm married to Ryan. And so when we hit specific holidays, I have to realign myself. There's a book called The Five Love Languages, and it's by Dr. Gary Chapman. And he talks within it about how each of us shares love in a different way. And I've read that book, and I know my husband. My husband is acts of service. So on any daily basis, he may be sweeping the kitchen. He may be washing dishes. He may be washing laundry. He might be ironing something. He might be mowing the yard. He is serving, but he is not going to buy me a flower It's not going to happen. And so I know this. He's not a gift giver. But Valentine's Day, my friends start to share pictures like this of these beautiful flowers. Those are not my flowers. (laughs) Those are my friends' flowers. And um, And I was having a rough time because as the more I heard about the gifts my friends had been given, the more frustrated I got. And it was not a pretty place to be in, but it was where I was. And so even a couple days after Valentine's Day, I was still probably a little snarky 
and a little rude. And in the middle of the night, I wake up, and I have, I can, and Ryan is not in bed, and I can hear a commotion outside of our room. And I'm thinking, what is going on? I get up, I make it into my son's room, and realize that in the middle of the night, he has woken up ill and has very quickly gotten ill. And so he has vomited into his bed, onto the throw rug. The sheets are already off of his bed. He has, my husband has this throw rug rolled up over his shoulder. He's taking it outside to hose it down. And I am reminded that my husband will not give me flowers, but he will clean up puke. And I will take it. And I will love it. And I will feel blessed by it because it is the way that he loves me. It is the way that he cares for me. So if we lay down this comparison game, can we find a way to thrive in our present? Jill Savage, founder of Hearts at Home, has written a book, No More Perfect Moms. And in it, she shares, a good friend once told me, Jill, never compare your outsides to some, your insides to someone else's outsides. We constantly look to see how we measure up to those around us, and we don't measure up. But how can we measure up? We compare ourselves to someone that doesn't exist. We compare our messy insides, our struggles, our failures, our less-than-perfect lives to other women's carefully cleaned-up, perfect-looking outsides. It's a game we moms play that we can never win. But guess what? There is enough God for all of us, and he has a beautiful plan for each of us. Thriving in our present surrendering our past. I've laid down the comparison game in order to thrive in my present. What can you lay down? In Hebrews 10, 19 through 23, we're reminded, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope for he who has promised is faithful. In these verses, we're reminded that originally we weren't allowed to speak directly to the Father. We had to go through a high priest to enter into the holy room, but Jesus gave us this ability through his death. And what a significant privilege we have being one in life with Christ. We have personal access to God through Christ and can draw near to him without anyone intervening on our behalf. And we can grow in faith and overcome doubts and questions and deepen our relationships with God. I'm surrendering my past and admitting who I am, my imperfect self, which allows me to partner with a perfect God. My present is allowing me to serve a perfect God. Life is messy and it doesn't always make sense. This world is made of imperfect people, but guess what? <laughs> we can serve imperfect person to imperfect person, shoulder to shoulder, and serve a perfect God. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Philippians 1.6. He wants us to hope and trust him with our future. Our God is bigger than anything that is part of our past or present. Life in him allows us to hope in our future. Jeremiah is often quoted trying to remind us of that. He wants us to find a hope in our future. Lamentations reminds us of that. We are reminded that we, therefore, we have hope. That inadequacy, it's not truth. That in struggle, that pain, that sin, he can overcome. I shared earlier that every two seconds a child ages out of the foster care or orphanage system. 
the statistics on those children that age out are very, very significant and very concerning. And so I think a lot of times people will look at our children and say, they're so lucky they have so much to be grateful for. But the truth is, um, our daughters and our son had to say goodbye to everything they knew. Everything that was a part of their past and a part of their history, their culture, their language, everything that was familiar to welcome the life that we have now. The dean of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, his name is Dr. Russell Moore, he's written a book called Adopted for Life. And in his book, he discusses his adoption of his two sons from a Russian orphanage. He describes a time that as they were leaving, his boys were literally reaching back over his shoulders as he was carrying them out of this orphanage. They were reaching back for the orphanage. This was a place where when Moore found them, they were covered in excrement and vomit and heat blisters and flies. And here they were reaching back for this orphanage. Why? Because it was all they knew. They had no concept of waiting, what was waiting for them on the other side with this new family. Moore goes on to liken that towards what we do with God. He has a plan for us, leading us to a life that is better than we can imagine, better than the life that we are living today. But it's unknown, so we reach back. We try to hold on to the known, not waiting to trust that our Father could be leading us towards something better. Does that sound familiar? Because it sounded familiar to me. We try to write and tell our stories when God is trying to write and tell them for us. And how can someone suffer such loss and still remain still hopeful? Because that's who our God is. We continue to say yes to him, although my husband says we're full up on kids at this time. God knows that we aren't perfect, but he doesn't care. We are an imperfect people serving a perfect God We are deserving of this family, of God's family. He already knows everything about you and all of the things that don't measure up, and he's willing to make the measure count. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He has a story to tell, and his are always much grander than the ones we write for ourselves. So what story is he going to share through you?